Hello, everyone, and welcome to this spooky and scary edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. I am Rico, your host, and uh, we're going to do a special kind of different podcast this week. I'm going to do kind of a Halloween show and talk about the 1931 film Frankenstein, along with some other uh, fun and, and scary things, some Halloween stories from myself and some other people. And talk a little bit about Trek and sci-fi uh, as well. So uh, this is Podcast 250 for October the 25th, 2009. Just uh, kind of sit back and turn down the lights and uh, get ready for a spooky Treks in sci-fi. <laughs> what was that? Oh, what's happening now? There you go with the Munsters TV theme, uh, one of my favorite uh, kind of, not really, I guess, spooky uh, TV shows from the past, but just a fun one. That and The Addams Family. Uh, definitely always enjoy watching uh, reruns of both of those. Anyway, welcome everyone to the podcast. This is Rico, uh, Spooky Rico. <laughs> Wasn't it Spooky, uh, the nickname for Mulder on the X-Files? Anyway, we're trying to do, uh, instead of really sci-fi or Trek this week, and with Halloween coming up next weekend, which will be on Saturday, uh, just before next weekend's podcast. Uh, so I have to do, if I'm going to do some kind of Halloween show, I had to be this weekend. Anyway, I thought it would be fun to do something along those lines. And, you know, the movie that we're going to be looking at, Frankenstein, the original one from 1931, uh, coming up here shortly on the podcast, you know, is basically, in a way, science fiction or fantasy. Uh, you know, it's bringing back uh, someone to life, in a way, a dead body, and animating it. And the, the first kind of zombie movie, if you want to call it that. Uh, it, it's, it's an excellent film, and, and something that certainly had a lot of impact on, on later horror films, and, and just film in general. And, of course, Boris Karloff as, as the monster is just... Uh, really perfect and incredible and, and it's hard to imagine anybody else doing that part justice and, but that's uh more on that later in the podcast uh first uh we'll talk about some other things sci-fi that i've been watching and a little bit about trek uh right after this greetings my name is hermes pay attention people of earth do you want a very cool Stargate podcast? Traitors and resistant, be silent. The gods are just. Wait, should I call them the Tokra as a proper name? No. If you say no, I'll just say resistance. No, you don't need a volcume. Well, 
I mean they will need some device, but it doesn't have to be of Gould design. Right. Sorry. Find us at www.thefifthracepodcast.com or search for us on iTunes. Ready? Now go! So how did you wind up doing this promo for us? Yeah, if you're a Stargate fan, definitely take a look at that podcast, that promo I just played for, the Fifth Race podcast, all about Stargate. And that kind of segues into what I wanted to talk about first this week, which is Stargate Universe. Now, this show, I think from most people's perspective so far, and the comments I've heard on both the Treks and Sci-Fi forums and other places, other forums that I visit, and just comments even on Twitter and places like that. Uh, oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I, I don't think I hardly ever mention that on here. I, I Yeah, my, what is it, Treks and Sci-Fi, I think? Yeah, twitter.com slash Treks and Sci-Fi. I don't even know. I think that's it. <laughs> There's a link on the main website if you if you want to take a look there. Um, but anyway, Stargate Universe, yes. The first few episodes have been kind of... Uh, difficult for me. They've been kind of slow going. The characters are a little, eh, maybe not the you know the most uh, generally friendly and in the kind of characters. Like for example, Stargate Universe had I think some very appealing characters right from the start, and so did the yeah, SG One, the first Stargate series. But this one, not so much. And, and you know, I think they're doing that intentionally. They know what they're doing. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess that's up to the audience to, to decide. I'm, I was having a little trouble with it, but the most recent episode, which, uh, you know, basically that what the premise of this Stargate is that there's this team, a, a group of people, and, well, it was never really meant to be this group of people, but they're in a far distant corner of the universe, uh, very, very far from Earth on this uh, ship uh, called the Destiny, I think is the, yeah, that's the name of the ship. And there were a set of circumstances in the first episode that, that caused this situation. So it's sort of a little Star Trek Voyager uh, in a way, to a degree. You know, they're all lost and far from home, although they're not on a ship of their own design. They're on an alien ship and something they're trying to figure out. And that's the idea. And then you've got this group of, I guess it's supposed to be about like, I don't know how many people, 70, 60, something like that. Quite a few people uh, stuck on here. It's not just a, although there is a core group of people and actors that you get to see each week. You know, a lot of people are just kind of standing around uh, in background shots and that. But, uh, you know, there's a core group of maybe eight or nine main characters that we see. Anyway, that's the idea. But the most recent episode, I thought, really uh, made the show come together a little bit more. Uh, there are things that happened the the team one of my troubles has been you know they're not really coming together and working to to you know keep themselves alive in this strange situation and that started to change a little bit in the most recent episode i don't want to say too much or spoil anything if you haven't seen this it's only been on about a month now and you can catch up uh, i think on all the episodes over at sci-fi.com s-y-f-y.com if you want to uh get caught up on uh stargate universe and there are probably a lot of other places to get it as well Sorry, I had to take a little pause there. Phone was ringing, uh, which it doesn't do a lot in the mornings these days. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm enjoying the show, though. I think uh, it's it's taking a while. They're taking some time to get the show into the place they want it to be, I think. Uh, so it, that is Stargate Universe. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. 
and I've got a brand new CD out to watch the stars with. It's called Stargazer. Take a listen to some of the songs. Three, two, one, zero. Launch commit. Liftoff. We have liftoff with Apollo 14. Three minutes past the hour. this 13-track CD or download it at takehimwithyou.com slash stargazer. Stargazer, a collection of songs to watch the stars with. Get your copy today. Yeah, that's uh, a nice little promo there from uh, my buddy Rick Moyer, who has just released uh, a CD uh, of excellent music. Uh, really cool. I I've had a chance to preview it. Uh, great stuff, Rick. I, I'm very impressed. Uh, it, it's very nice to listen to, not just to you know watch the stars, you know, which which I think Rick's idea with it was. But you know, I do other things, artwork. I, I do, you know, work around my house. It's just nice music to have uh, playing when you're doing whatever you might be doing. Anyway, I will put links in the podcast notes to. Uh, get your own copy uh i think it's going to be starting tomorrow available might even be today but it's it should be a bit available <laughs> oh there i go it should be available by the time you listen to this podcast i will put links up uh, i know cdbaby.com and itunes both will be carrying it so uh but uh, just check out his website over at takehimwithyou.com uh, forward slash stargazer to learn more What's going on with the latest Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Wait, there we go. Well, there was actually, uh, in the last week or two, there's actually been quite a bit of uh, new Star Trek uh, stories and, and, and things going on online that I've been finding. Uh, first one up is that CBS, who owns basically Trek, these days is uh, partnered up uh, with a group called the, the Mad Science Group, and they're going to have a, a Star Trek, they're calling it Star Trek Live. It's kind of a theme park show, it's supposed to be about an hour long, combining Star Trek with uh, some real science topics, and uh, it's going to be touring around, it'll be appearing at different theme parks, performing arts centers, and things like that across America starting next year in 2010. Uh, and uh, it looks pretty interesting. There's a little brochure. I got a got a link up into the podcast notes about this story as well. But uh, we'll see what this is like. I, it's pretty uh, cool idea, and it shows just again. I think that CBS is really behind Trek these days, and it makes me happy to see that, especially what the way things were about you know four or five years ago. Uh, what else? Uh, the uh, the movie, uh, the next movie, we won't call it Star Trek II because that would be confusing. And, and the funny thing about the title of the next film, you know, from J.J. and his uh, reinvention of uh, original Trek uh, on the big screen that we saw last May, the first one. The next one it w probably is going to be something like Star Trek colon, you know, with a subtitle or Star Trek dash and a subtitle would be my guess. That's really the only way to do it. 
Uh, although they could give it just an individual title, you know, like uh, they did with Batman, for example. The last one was just called The Dark Knight. It wasn't called Batman The Dark Knight. Uh, but I'm not sure. I would think they want to keep the Star Trek brand and logo name. I mean, they tried this little trick or, or idea with uh, idea with uh, Enterprise. When Enterprise first started on the air, the series, they just called it Enterprise. Was it for the first two seasons, I think? And then in the, in the midpoint or so, they changed it to Star Trek Enterprise. I just think to keep the name Trek in there is is pretty important, especially for people who are just, you know, they're flipping through the movie guide or looking what's up at the marquee. And, you know, seeing the word Star Trek is a pretty well-known quantity in the world. So I would definitely keep that in the title if I was them, and I think they probably will. The There is some question or debate whether we will get this movie in 2011 or 2012. You know, it'll be a two-year or a three-year gap. They are saying they may be able to film it towards the end of 2010, but I still do strongly believe because they've got a lot of movies slated some really big projects coming out in 2011, uh, another Spider-Man, uh, another Transformers, and, and just a whole bunch. I think Pir- Pirates of the Caribbean is supposed to have another one that summer. Uh, so they are probably going to do Trek, the next one, in 2012, have it come out then. And I would guess they'll film it either towards the end of 2010 or 2011, maybe early, uh, would be my guess. So that is the scoop on the movie situation what else oh trek has also the the most recent movie has been nominated for uh, quite a few people choice awards i've kind of become disillusioned over the years uh, on award shows for a number of reasons i they don't mean a lot to me anymore although the people choice awards at least the fans and the people get to vote for those and it, you know it's it kind of means something more to me than maybe like uh, the Oscars and the Academy Awards uh, have become. So anyway, they, uh, they've they nominated Trek for quite a few categories, uh, Best Movie and, and others. I will link that also up in the podcast notes and where you can put, place your uh, vote for uh, under the People's Choice Awards for Trek. Hey, folks, do you need some domain names or maybe some web hosting for that Internet site that you've always wanted to start? Well, if you go over and uh, sign up at GoDaddy.com and use uh, the codes US Trek 1, US Trek 2, US Trek 3, or US Trek 20H, you can save money on uh, getting your own domain name or hosting or whatever you need on the internet to get your own little piece of uh, that space out there. So go on over to GoDaddy.com and sign up today. One last uh, Trek-related story I wanted to talk about is the new or uh, upcoming Star Trek Online uh, multiplayer MMO game from Cryptic that's still due to come out sometime in 2010. Uh, this uh, game has now entered into the what's called the closed beta stage, which is sort of a testing period where people can sign up, and if they're selected, uh, we'll be able to play the game uh, in its sort of uh, you know beta state, which is an early... Well, not really early, but it is a test phase that uh, software goes through before it's finally released to the public. Uh, And games do this quite often to get feedback. They really need to find out when people try to play a game in all different kinds of ways, uh, how the game works, if there are glitches or or bugs, if things are are running well or not running well, see the game played on a variety of, of hardware out there and all different kinds of things, and especially with an MMO game that's played over the internet online, they need to know that their systems and servers can handle it and so forth. So uh, if you just go over to, I think it's, yeah, StarTrekOnline.com, 
Uh, I think you can still sign up for this closed beta. Uh, you know, you enter your name and email and all that. And uh, who knows, you might get a chance to uh, preview this cool a new game from Cryptic uh, that uh, isn't quite out yet, but uh, should be sometime next year. I, I have still have a little bit of mixed feelings on how this game's going to turn out. I, I hope it is good. I, I'm definitely going to give it a try. I, I enjoy gaming. I play World of Warcraft uh, yeah, fairly often. I've played it for a long time. I just don't play a lot of hours each week. I'm kind of a casual uh, MMO player, but this game looks intriguing, and uh, I'll definitely be giving it a shot. of course the theme to another cool show from the 60s another kind of i wouldn't call it horror but uh you know kind of a, a quirky little fun show called the adams family that i've always enjoyed as well as the monsters now let's segue over into talking about uh, the main topic uh for this week's special scary halloween treks in sci-fi show the 1931 movie frankenstein the original version of this classic tale uh, that was uh, put out by Universal uh, Pictures. There's so much that you could probably cover in talking about this. Originally, this podcast was going to cover both Frankenstein and the uh, original Dracula with Bela Lugosi, but I I realized that's way too much to do along with everything else I want to talk about, you know, the usual topics on the podcast. So we're just going to focus on Frankenstein. Now, I've seen this movie a few times over the years. I, I actually sat down again last night and watched the whole thing uh, it, just to kind of refresh my memory and that. And a few things struck me as I was watching this movie again. Uh, one thing is... There is, uh, the way it's sort of paced is kind of, I think, a little unusual. There are little little scenes, and and then it fades, and then you get another scene. And, and the, I, I guess the, the sense of time, how much time is going on during the movie, is a little uh, different, a little strange, and kind of a little, in a way, hard to follow. Not Nothing bad. I'm just putting, you know, my thoughts, uh, you know, after I recently watched this again kind of down uh and uh what else did i kind of notice this time when i watched it uh there the dialogue in this film and i was noticing this when i was collecting up uh audio clips this morning too there isn't a huge amount of dialogue obviously uh boris karloff as the monster doesn't really have any he just kind of moans and groans and arr, arr. oh there's my frankenstein impression <laughs> But, you know, the, the, the scientist, you know, uh, Henry Frankenstein, Dr. Henry Frankenstein, played by Colin Clive, uh, he has a fair amount of interesting dialogue and a couple other people, too, his his fiance Elizabeth, and, uh, you know, his, um, his old uh, person that he worked with at uh, Herr Vogel, uh, and just a lot of other people in the movie still have some things to say. But it's there's a lot of action, obviously. There's the monster being created in the lab. 
you know, and then there's the whole monster being sort of chased near the end of the movie and everything like that. If you've not seen this movie ever or maybe in a long time, you definitely should should check it out. And I'm going to talk about the movie as I go through some clips, give you some a uh, little bit of trivia and behind the scenes stuff. I am, you know, there are movie scholars out there, people, uh, historians that have studied this movie every which way and sideways. I am certainly not that uh, type of person about this film. I like it. I enjoy it. it it's, it's certainly a classic in Hollywood history of, of movie making, but I am by no means any kind of an expert. But I do know some things about it that I wanted to share with you and give you a little uh, taste of the movie if you haven't seen it ever or in a while by playing some clips. So here's the first one. This first one is the – there was this opening prologue that was put in uh, at the very beginning of the movie that I thought kind of uh, really sets the stage for the film and was an interesting idea for them to do. So listen to this, and I will be right back. How do you do? Mr. Carl Emily feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Yeah, that is uh, actor Edward Van Sloan, who plays Dr. Waldman in the movie, uh, sort of Frankenstein's kind of mentor a little bit in a way. And he did that opening little prologue to kind of, you know, spook the audience, I think, to a degree. Uh, the uh, other thing I wanted to say at this point was Carl Emley, who was the producer for this, uh, offered the director, James Whale, uh, uh, quite a list, uh, you know, of 30 or so more movies that he could adapt. Uh, and he picked this one. This is this is the one he did. He basically said he wanted to get away from uh, the kind of movies and pictures he had been doing, war movies and things like that. And he just decided to do this kind of horror, scary Frankenstein film. The interesting thing about that is this director now, uh, James Whale, is kind of best known for, for this film and a few other horror films that he did uh, during his career and not all that other stuff, the war movies that uh, he was trying to get away from. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit uh, to throw in. Here I come. Is it all right? The neck's broken. The brain is useless. We must find another brain. Let me run down the uh, the actors, the main characters, uh, or main actors, <laughs> the the actors for the film. There isn't; it's not really a huge cast. There's a lot of extras at the end of the movie when they're chasing Frankenstein and all that, but it's not a really big cast. Uh, Doctor Henry Frankenstein, and you'll note that in the uh, Mary Shelley book, uh, his name is Victor Frankenstein, the Doctor, uh, but he's called Henry Frankenstein in this. He's played by uh, an actor, Colin Clive. Uh, his fiancée in the movie, Elizabeth, is Mae Clark, uh, another guy who 
seems like Elizabeth and and uh, he have kind of a relationship is named uh, Victor uh, Victor Moretz. He's played jo- by John Boyles. Boris Karloff, of course, is the monster. Uh, interesting in the beginning credits for the film. Uh, they don't actually uh, list uh, his name, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Dr. Waldman, I already said, uh, is Edward Van Sloan. Uh, Baron Frankenstein, who is Fr- Dr. Frankenstein's father, is uh, played by an actor I've seen in a lot of old movies, Frederick Kerr. He kind of has a, a big, boisterous personality, and he kind of adds just a little bit of a the, the little bit of comedy, I guess you could call it, or humorous elements to the film. Uh, he he plays up those scenes pretty well, and uh, it gives you a little bit of lightheartedness in a in a pretty dark and uh, scary movie. Uh, Fritz, it's not uh, Igor or Igor in this movie. Doctor Frankenstein's assistant is called Fritz, uh, played by Dwight Fry. Lionel uh, Belmore is Herr Vogel, and there's a little girl, little Maria is played by actress uh, Marilyn Harris. Uh, there's a scene uh, near a lake uh, with Frankenstein and uh, little Maria that I'll talk about here shortly. So there's the cast. I uh, already talked about a little bit about the uh, director. Of course, this comes from this Mary Shelley novel that's become a classic as well and uh, definitely worth reading and uh, checking out uh, besides just watching the movie because there are quite a few differences between the film itself and the book. And in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, here we have one of the most perfect specimens of the human brain that has ever come to my attention at the university. And here the abnormal brain of the typical criminal. Observe, ladies and gentlemen, the scarcity of convolutions on the frontal lobe as compared to that of the normal brain. And the distinct degeneration of the middle frontal lobe. All of these degenerate characteristics check amazingly with the case history of the dead man before us, whose life was one of brutality, of violence, and murder. Both of these jars will remain here for your further inspection. Thank you, gentlemen. The class is dismissed. Yeah, there is the uh, thing that a lot of people know, even from movies like Young Frankenstein, is there... The whole thing about, uh, you know, Frankenstein's going around collecting and digging up all these bodies, sewing pieces together to uh, to come up with uh, the creature that he's going to bring back to life, or bring to life, I should say, not bring back to life. And they need a brain, and of course, Dr. Waldman there, and you heard in that clip at the university, has just so happens to have a couple of jars on his his desk at the in the lecture hall, one with a normal good brain and one with a, a, a criminal's brain. And he's describing uh, the the two of them to the class. And, of course, good old uh, Fritz hops into the uh, classroom there, knocks over the the good brain, and has to take the the not-so-good brain back to Dr. Frankenstein. I'm afraid. I've read this over and over again, but they're just words that I can't understand. Listen, you must have faith in me, Elizabeth. Wait. My work must come first, even before you. At night, the winds howl in the mountains. There is no one here. Prying eyes can't peer into my secret. What can he mean? What does he say then? I am living in an abandoned old watchtower close to the town of Goldstadt. Only my assistant is here to help me with my experiments. Oh, his experiments? Yes, that's what frightens me. The very day we announced our engagement, he told me of his experiments. 
He said he was on the verge of a discovery so terrific that he doubted his own sanity. There was a strange look in his eyes, some mystery. His words carried me right away. Of course, I've never doubted him, but still I worry. I can't help it. Yeah, that's uh, Elizabeth there talking to uh, Victor, uh, who uh, they're concerned about uh, her fiancé and these letters that he's written. And he's kind of sealed himself off into this windmill-like uh, place that his, he's got his laboratory there and all that. It's a very cool set. Uh, that's another thing I like about this movie. It's It's got a lot of the the classic, you know, weird scientist, mad scientist laboratory stuff going on, which, you know, this is where it all began, kind of. You know, movies since then have sort of mimicked and, and followed a lot of things that were set forth in this film. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the casting of uh, Boris Karloff as the monster. A couple things I found kind of interesting when I dug into this. One, Boris Karloff was quite a bit older at the time of this movie. He was like in his early 40s, I think 40 or 41 when they did it, uh, which was surprising to me. I didn't realize he was quite that old at the time. You know, not that that's old by any means. (laughs) I just didn't think he he was, I thought he was a little bit younger than that when he did this. Uh, The story goes is that they were having a little trouble casting. They had offered the movie uh, and considered uh, different people for the creature, the monster. Uh, Bella Lugosi was the biggest one, I guess, of course. And he wasn't really happy about uh, taking the part. He didn't really want to do it, uh, especially since Frankenstein doesn't have any real dialogue in the film. Uh, so uh, they moved on to Karloff. And uh, the story goes is that the director basically saw Boris Karloff in a line at the commissary at the studio's and that is uh, basically, he said, uh, you know, he asked him or he passed him a note as the story. And he said, would you want to come give me a screen test for this movie? And I, I guess there was a little uh, Karloff, Boris Karloff was a little offended because a part of the appeal or part of what caught the director's eye when he saw him was was the, you know, maybe not exactly the, the most handsome actor around and they wanted somebody who was maybe not uh, the the prettiest or most handsome again actor to play the monster. And Karloff kind of took that, you know, kind of like what, you know, you know what you think, you know, he, he you know, he's kind of a le- trying to be a leading man type guy. And here he's being picked to play this this creature that's uh, being uh, animated and brought to life. So there was a little bit of, you know, whatever, uh, miss. Uh, you know, a little poor, bad feelings perhaps at the beginning, but it was kind of a joke. It became a little bit of a joke anyway. And of course, the the makeup uh, done by Jack Pierce that changed and transformed the makeup and the costuming, really, that transformed Karloff into the monster is just really superb for the time. He really looks like uh, this this creature, this monster, and, and he pulls it off very well. He's got these big boot feet on and, of course, the flat head. And, you know, they, they really took uh, took that makeup and used it for the character of Herman Munster. I mean, he's basically Frankenstein. And, it, and it's just done amazingly well. He's got those electrodes. They're not really bolts, but electrodes on the side of his neck. And uh, that uh, movie makeup there is actually copyrighted with Universal to like 20, what am I reading here, 2026 that I wrote down. It's it's licensed to Universal Studios through that time. So if anybody was to use that imagery or that makeup in any way, they would have to get, uh, you know, a licensing agreement from Universal. It's and, and it just shows you, you know, that'll be almost 100 years that they've owned that and how, how just 
classic that look is for for Frankenstein and for sort of a zombie look in a way uh, that was created for this movie. Well, you know, his researchers in the field of chemical galvanism and electrobiology were far in advance of our theories here at the university. In fact, they had reached a most advanced stage. They were becoming dangerous. Herr Frankenstein is greatly changed. You mean changed as a result of his work? Yes, his work. His insane ambition to create life. How? How? Please tell us everything, whatever it is. The bodies we use in our dissecting room for lecture purposes were not perfect enough for his experiments, he said. He wished us to supply him with other bodies. And we were not to be too particular as to where and how we got. I told him that his demands were unreasonable. And so he left the university to work unhampered. He found what he needed elsewhere. Oh, the bodies of animals. Well, what are the lives of a few rabbits and dogs? You do not quite get what I mean. Herr Frankenstein was interested only in human life. First to destroy it, then recreate it. There you have his mad dream. Yeah, that gives you a bit of a sense there of, uh, you know, with Dr. Wellman talking about Frankenstein and, and what he's trying to do here, the life, uh, uh, create life in a way. The one thing that I noticed again watching the movie last night uh, that kind of struck me as something kind of interesting and uh, was that in the movie, at least, they, they don't really go into the why. You know, I guess it's just a challenge for, for the scientist, uh, you know, for the doctor to bring, you know, something that was not alive to life and almost play God in a way. And there's some sort of a theme about the, the movie like that. And there are some lines even that I'll, I'll discuss here in a few. But they don't go into, you know, it's not like one of these situations where, like, say he, you know, his wife or someone he knew or a relative or a friend died, dies, and he say, he becomes obsessed with, with figuring out a way to bring them back to life or something like that. There's no, there isn't a huge, you know, situation of, like, this is his motivation for doing what he's doing out in this lab, and uh, I, I, it doesn't really hurt the movie, I don't think, that much at all. He, he just seems to be an obsessed, crazy scientist, and I think this is just a challenge for him that he's doing all of this and trying to do something uh, that no one has ever been able to do before. Dr. Bauman, I learned a great deal from you at the university about the violet ray, the ultraviolet ray, which you said was the highest color in the spectrum. You were wrong. Here in this machinery, I have gone beyond that. I have discovered the great ray that first brought life into the world. Oh, and your proof? Tonight you shall have your proof. But first I experimented only with dead animals, and then a human heart which I kept beating for three weeks. But now, I'm going to turn that ray on that body and endow it with life. And you really believe that you can bring life to the dead? That body is not dead. It has never lived. I created it. I made it with my own hands from the bodies I took from graves, from the gallows, anywhere. Go and see for yourself. You too? 
Yeah, that's a good uh, little bit of dialogue there between uh, Dr. Waldman and uh, Dr. Frankenstein. It shows a little bit about his character and what he's trying to do. The The next, I think, clip that I have coming up here is kind of uh, one of the classic parts. Now, listen very closely to uh, the audio uh, for this next clip, and then I'm going to come back and discuss uh, sort of a, a bit of controversy. And there are several controversies for this film, things that the censors wanted changed and altered in that. But uh, this next part is probably one of the biggest. So listen very closely. This is, of course, the famous scene after the uh, creature is... Uh, pulled up into the lightning and the storm and brought back down and you see his hand kind of move uh, and then you hear this a bit of dialogue. Yeah, so there, there you get a couple of bits of dialogue from uh, Dr. Frankenstein when the creature uh, starts to come to life, the monster. The the classic, of course, line, it's alive, it's alive, you know, that one gets quoted all over the place uh, in different times, in different places. Uh, it, it's probably one of the most famous bits of dialogue in movie history. Uh, the other, though, more interesting line a little bit is where he says something, now I know what it's like to be God is... Uh, you know, keep in mind this movie came out in 1931. You know, in the during the Depression, people very, you know, a conservative time in a way. And the when it was originally released, that line of dialogue was in the movie. But then it was later re-released in the later 30s. Censors to, to basically demanded that that movie line where he says, "I know what it's like to be a god," be taken out of the film because they thought it was blasphemous. And so they did remove it and put in some more thunder and everything like that. Now, over the years, they've tried to, to change that and fix that situation. And the story is that they finally found a clean recording of that bit of dialogue on, a, on an old something called a Vitaphone disc, which is kind of like an old phonograph record that they would record audio on. And this, uh, then they were late, later able to restore the movie with the original dialogue in there with the line, now I know what it's like to be God, you know, to probably our ears in 2009, you know, that we, we've seen and heard so many things that are probably much more, you know, worse than that in movies and TV these days. I don't think people blink at it too much. But, you know, putting it in the historical perspective and context, you can see why, they probably had a little problem with that. Not to mention, you know, you're bringing this guy, dead guy or, you know, animating this corpse of parts and stuff. No problem with that, but don't say anything about, you know, being like God in the movie, so. Only evil can come of it. Your health will be ruined if you persist in this madness. I'm astonishingly sane, Doctor. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Patience, patience. I believe in this monster, as you call it. And if you don't, well, you must leave me alone. But think of Elizabeth, your father. Elizabeth believes in me. My father never believes in anyone. I've got to experiment further. He's only a few days old, remember. So far, he's been kept in complete darkness. Wait till I bring him into the light. 
Here he comes. Let's turn out the light. As I watched the movie uh, last night, like I said earlier, la- the one thing that really struck me, I think, is Boris Karloff as as the monster, the creature. You you get really an amazing sort of sense uh, from him. What he, you know, empathy in a way, and with with no dialogue and just his mannerisms, his facial expressions, and just he does an amazing job really with a very limited you know role. Almost he has to play sort of like a mime in the movie to a degree. He gets to make some sounds, and you'll hear those I think in a couple of clips coming up to a degree, but it's mostly just his, his looks, his movements, and, and things like that, and, and really, I'm, it's very impressive, and I, and I can see that they pick somebody, you know, right for the part. I, I, it just, uh, it really works for the film, and he does a great job, and the other thing that comes out is you, especially with uh, Dr. Frankenstein's assistant, assistant Fritz, and uh, is, you know, Fritz at one point has got a whip and the creature is like uh, chained up and, and, you know, they're being pretty cruel with, and this is even before the the creature kind of uh, goes off on a rampage a little bit, uh, but it's, it's, it's just, you know, here he, he got what he wanted. He animated this, this thing to life and now they're treating it, you know, really badly in a way. And it it's, uh, I don't know. There, you really have a, sort of a feeling of uh, empathy and sympathy for the monster and the creature in this movie, and and I think that's an important point. And it, it, even up towards the end, he's just sort of an, in a way, an innocent. Uh, even though some things that happen here, especially in this next clip, which is another uh, probably classic and big scene from this movie, where this one doesn't have. There's a lot of gaps of dialogue in this next one, but I wanted to play it kind of through this is when the creature gets away uh, from dr frankenstein's place and lab and uh, runs into little maria by the lake who are you i'm maria will you play with me Would you like one of my flowers? Huh. You have those, and I'll have these. Make a boat. See how mine floats? Yeah, so uh, what happens there, it's a little hard to tell if you're not familiar with the scene, but they're 
he sees this little girl, Maria, and she's playing by the lake, uh, and she has these flowers. She hands them. They toss them. She tosses some in the lake, showing how the flowers float on the on the water, and the creature, Boris Karloff, does the same. And then he soon he's out of flowers to float in the lake. So he, he picks up Maria and, and tosses her into the lake, thinking, you know, because his brain just doesn't function like a normal brain would. And he thinks, well, if the flowers will float, you'll float. So he picks her up. I don't mean to laugh at that. It's kind of, I guess, talking about it, it seems kind of odd. But then he throws her in. Now, a couple things about this scene. Originally, in, in the prints in, you know, that were released in America, the scene, Boris Karloff uh, you know, sort of objected to that situation. He didn't really think the, the creature should pick her up and toss her in, maybe just put her in slowly. The the first prints in, in America that were released, actually, you don't even see her do see the creature do that. He's moving towards Maria, and the scene kind of ends there. And later on, the father finds Maria, and he kind of uh, it, it carries her through town, and that's when the whole town gets against the monster and all that happens. So you know she's dead. She dies from what he did. Uh, but they don't really show it. Now, it, it's later been restored now, and again, the, the versions out there these days really pretty much show the the monster picks up, uh, Frankenstein picks up the uh, Maria, the little girl, and throws her in the lake. The other part of this is the actress, the little actress, uh, Marilyn Harris, the child that plays those scenes, a few things about that that I found out. Uh, one is she's actually a pretty good swimmer, and they did this the scene quite a few times, and they uh, there was a story that uh, they wanted to do one more final take of it, and the director asked asked little Marilyn, uh, said, you know, if we it, can we do it one more time, and I'll give you anything you want if we do this another time, and and she asks, I guess one of her favorite foods were or uh, were uh, hard boiled eggs, and so she asked her a dozen hard boiled eggs, her which was one of her favorite snacks. And uh, the director later gave her two dozen after they um, they did the scene one more time. Other thing about her, this little child, and and keep in mind, child actors back in these days, you know, they had certain rules and situations. The they were concerned that when uh, Boris Karloff, all in his uh, you know makeup as the creature, the monster comes out of the woods, kind of, and, and then first uh, sees little Maria, that it would scare this little actress that she would be frightened by his makeup and his appearance. And when they got to basically, they were going to start filming some of the scenes with this, what happens is that um, little Marilyn, who played Maria, uh, sees uh, Karloff when they're going to go out to do this scene in the near the lake, and she kind of goes up to him, this is before you know they're filming, takes his hand, and they. she asks Karloff in his full monster makeup, if she would, uh, if he would ride with her in her car out to the the shooting place, and I, I guess Karloff said something like, you know, uh, may I? Or actually, uh, let me read this again here. He, she says, "May I drive with you?" And Karloff says back, "Would you, darling?" And and then basically they rode to the location uh, together. So I guess she wasn't too scared with his makeup. And you know, kids are a little. They're a lot stronger about that kind of stuff and not nearly as easily frightened as people would think. I think it, especially when things don't look like they would. Now, if somebody came up 
in makeup, let's say they look perfectly normal, but they put some blood on their arm and made it look like they had like cut themselves badly. I think that would scare a little kid almost more than the full monster makeup would, you know, because it's not real. It, it, it doesn't. It, it's interesting and neat in the movie, but I think kids are a little more sophisticated than than they give them credit for, even back in the '30s. Listen, it's Frankenstein. That way. That's some of uh, where uh, Dr. Frankenstein is confronting the creature uh, as they're chasing him after they find out that uh, the little girl has uh, died at his hands. And they're, they're hunting the creature with the dogs and all the villagers with their torches. You know, the, the classic, you know, the crazy village mob after the poor Frankenstein creature. And they chase him back to Frankenstein's uh, place. Actually, they, there's a struggle there in that scene between... Uh, Henry, Dr. Frankenstein, and the creature, and he knocks out Dr. Frankenstein, and he he drags him back to the lab and, and pulls him up into the uh, the top of the tower there of the windmill. The it, uh, One other thing that I found out about that was that Karloff, Boris Karloff, actually insisted on actually carrying this guy, this other actor, uh, who played Dr. Frankenstein uh, through those scenes and up these stairs, and, it, and he actually hurt his back pretty badly, something that would bug him uh, and, and hurt him due to this uh, for the rest of his life. So I thought that, you know, it shows the kind of actor that he was, that, you know, he was he would do whatever it would take to get the scene the way it should be rather than allow it to be, uh, you know, less than, than original or not original, but less than authentic or perfect. And, uh, you know, he was able to do that, uh, even though he injured himself and hurt himself in the process. Now, the next clip, I think it's the last one that I have, is them kind of burning down the place. And again, you don't hear a lot of dialogue here. The creature's trapped inside. And uh, he also, um, there's a couple different things about this ending that they altered a little bit. Uh, the uh, the original uh, ending, the, the screenplay called for the Dr. Henry Frankenstein to actually die when uh, the the place is kind of starting to burn down, and Frankenstein, the creature, I should say, uh, tosses uh, Henry Frankenstein out of the building, and he was uh, supposed to die. But they decided they wanted a little bit better and more happy ending. So Colin Clive, who plays the the doctor, uh, Doctor Frankenstein, survives, and you kind of see him at the very end in a little scene, a long kind of shot where he's in a bedroom in a bed, kind of recuperating. Even though that's not actually the actor, because at that point he had, he wasn't available when they decided to go with the quote unquote happy ending for the movie.
Yeah, and that pretty much wraps up the film. It, 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 you know, the the ending of this movie I thought was a little, and I could see why they they changed it, uh, but uh, and, and why it sort of it, it ends kind of abruptly. You know, you get this sort of scene where uh, Frankenstein, his father, is is toasting sort of the house of Frankenstein, and I didn't catch that clip and didn't save it to play for you, but that's the way it ends, and you don't get to see, uh, even though they have him alive at the end. Uh, you don't get to see the doctor and all that, and you also don't really don't really see the the, the Frankenstein monster, the creature Boris Karloff uh, die. He gets kind of trapped in the place, but you don't actually know if he's alive or dead. And that, of course, it, it allows them to kind of keep it a little bit of a mystery. And eventually, of course, there's there's a lot of other films in in the series: Bride of Frankenstein, House of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, uh, and and others. So it's a son of Frankenstein. <laughs> And there, um, I wanted to say though, mention that uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, I probably got this set. I don't know when it was. At least probably five years, maybe no more than that. I think uh, ago, uh, they they come out with this cool little gift set uh, of these Universal monster movies. And the one I'm looking at right now for Frankenstein, this was a gift pack you got. I think I bought it at Best Buy. It, it had three little busts of the three classic Universal monsters: uh, Frankenstein. Dracula and the Wolfman, and inside there are uh, DVD sets of the movies, and there are sequels as well, and a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and that's what I really wanted to mention. For example, the the DVD set I'm looking at for Frankenstein has three, um, well, actually has two discs, one of them is double-sided, and it shows you the, the various movies in the Frankenstein series, and uh, there is a whole bunch of documentary stuff uh, that I was going to play, but I'm really running out of time and I won't be able to. But there's this cool set, and you can even see this, I think, on YouTube in parts. It's uh, called The Frankenstein Files, How Hollywood Made a Monster. And it gives you a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and a lot of interesting uh, information on Frankenstein. So check that out. You can find it on YouTube or just you know buy these movies. You can probably pick up this set still somewhere uh, online or other versions. You know th- these movies have been around for a long time, and there's always new versions and stuff coming out as well. So again, Frankenstein, the original 1931 film uh, from Universal, it, you could talk about it for a very long time, and people have studied it over the years, and, and it's 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 definitely a movie if you take like a a, a movie course in classic movie making. It, it certainly ranks in there as a classic uh, monster movie from the early days of Hollywood. So it, it's it's a great film, great for watching around Halloween time. So that is my look at it, and uh, really enjoy it. And I wanted to now play for you. I asked for last week on the podcast for people to send in stories about Halloween, and we we're going to sort of do a little contest. And I got three audios to play, three uh, submissions for you from different people about their experiences and, and, and their take on Hollywood, Hollywood, I almost said Halloween. And I'll talk a little bit about my stuff and, and a few things of my Halloween memories towards the end. But I'm going to play these. I'll probably comment in between. But the first one up is this one is from Vartok uh, about Halloween. Halloween, this is Halloween, pumped 
Hello everyone, this is Vartok again with an audio segment about one of my favorite human events of the year, Halloween. In the Vartok Collective, this festive event is noted each year with hilarity. I will have to look up that human word to make sure I am not speaking an unintended malaprop, like that alien willy in V the series. For example, when someone knocked at the door, Willie noted that there was a strangler at the door. When I think he meant stranger. I guess Willie was the predecessor to Data, who also made social gaps for comic relief. Anyway, I digress. Each year, the female offspring in my collective asks Bartok. Which, with the universal translator turned on, means... Fodder unit, what will you be doing this year to scare the bejesus out of human offspring that dress in strange clothing who come to the front entrance of our living quarters? Ah, female offspring, I am deep in thought about how to do it differently this year than last. But in any case, you can be sure that about half of those small humans will be walking well clear of our entrance path. Remember what you overheard their mothers say last year? Remember the tufts from last year. We are not having a repeat of those nightmares. Fartok finds your Halloween festival to be quite interesting. We have nothing like it on Skorilia at all. Here on Earth, I especially find it entertaining to gut out those round orange gourds and cut faces into them. So let me recall some of the special things Bartok has done to entertain the brave offspring that do approach our living quarters. Well, early on I recognized that they quickly became used to seeing a two-meter-tall walking bush with pseudopods, so I had to start looking like something other than a scarillion. So one year, and you would appreciate this, Rico, I made a costume out of fake red fur and took on the appearance of a Wookiee. Including a plastic Star Wars blaster. That was okay, but I quickly learned that the little ones really, really prefer to be scared out of their wits. And Wookiees look too much like the stuffed animals that the young ones seem to carry around. So another year, I created a full-scale jack-in-the-box with Vartok dressed up as an evil clown. For some reason that Vartok does not fully comprehend... Humans seem to be very afraid of clowns. Anyway, there was a handle on the side of the box, and when it was rotated, the traditional music played until... Until you guessed it, Vartok sprung out of the box and then proceeded to carry on a conversation about how clowns are an underrated group of humans. When I was a clown, I got no respect. When my parents got divorced, there was a custody fight over me, and no one showed up. I lived in a tough clown neighborhood. They got a children's zoo. Last week, four kids escaped. 
and there was the one year when Vartok did not have sufficient time to prepare for the annual Halloween visits. Ah, the grumbling that we had around the street that year about how the Vartoks let them down. So never again, Vartok always finds something to do. Another year, Vartok decided to honor one of your favorite Hollywood movie stars, the famous one who goes by just his first name, Jason. So I purchased gray coveralls, some white and red makeup, and then planted a hatchet into my chest with lots of red human blood. This one seemed to be just the thing for the young ones, who seemed to appreciate the clouds of fake fog, the loud scary music, and my groaning on the ground in a dark tunnel of black plastic sheeting. One of the younglings even wanted to thoughtfully see if he could pull the hatchet out of my chest, but it was too well planted there. Well, I'm sure that this segment is already long enough. Vartok really wants to get back to doing treks and sci-fi music segments very soon. Well, that's it for this special Halloween segment, and now back to you, Rico. Well, thanks very much for that very entertaining segment, uh, Vartok, about what goes on over at the Vartok household during this time of the year and Halloween. Yeah, I, I do the same thing to a degree, maybe not as elaborate as you have. I never seem to have quite as much time as I'd like to do it, but uh, I yeah, I've, I, I enjoy scaring the little ones, too. I can remember one year uh, that I... Uh, I basically dressed up as uh, kind of an old, kind of a bum, kind of a guy, and I we have a couple of we have a kind of a long porch, and I had it kind of fairly dark and and didn't light it up, and I had had this dummy sort of sitting there all week with pumpkins and things around it, and then on Halloween night I took the dummy's kind of place and laid there very still in the dark. And when uh, the little ones would come up to the house to say trick or treat, I would I would like moan or jump out at them. And uh, there were a few I think that uh, you know their moms weren't too happy with me that night. So uh, lots of uh, fun stories. And sometimes I'm just out there in a little like Jedi robe with lightsabers, and kids seem to like that too. Although some of them are even scared of that because I'm I'm fairly tall and with that dark robe on out in the darkness at night. Uh, although they're always, they always love to grab the lightsaber and want to play around with that. So uh, next up we have, I think this is uh, Meds next with his Halloween uh, stories. Hi Rico, this is Meds, uh, otherwise known as Hawkeye Meds on the Checks in Sci-Fi's forums. Brilliant that you're doing a podcast dedicated to Halloween. Uh, one of my favourite horror films is um, Nosferatu, um, done by uh, uh, Friedrich Wilhelm Mano. Um I probably said his last name wrong, but uh, it's a wonderful film. It's so scary. It's uh, it's dark. It's um, there's a wonderful feeling about that film. I think it's um, because it was made in in, in 1922. There's a <clears throat> there's a certain feel of of darkness and horror to it. But my my um, MP3 to you is actually not about Nosferatu. It's about a a time um, when I saw another classic Halloween film. Uh, ironically called Halloween, uh, with uh, Donald Pleasance and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I was uh, in the early 80s, I think, maybe mid-80s. I was about 10 years old, and uh, I was a member of a scout group 
Um, and we was camping at the time in a big old log cabin, very much like the ones you see on Evil Dead. And um, we had a very old, small black and white TV in this log cabin. And it was in the middle of the woods, <clears throat> in a place called Earlswood Forest. Not far from me, actually. And uh, we used to go there quite a bit. Anyway, it was Halloween, the, the weekend we went. And um, I was one of the lead scout uh, members, and all the, the young the younglings had gone to bed. And it was me and a couple of other lads who were left up to, to our own devices, you know. And we ended up watching Halloween on this black and white small TV. And uh, it absolutely blew me away. It was the first time I'd seen it. And the thing that sticks in my mind is because we was in the middle of a wood, in a log cabin, <laughs> watching Halloween on a black and white TV, and there was something fairly, fairly scary about seeing the, you know, the mask of, uh, of Myers gone walking uh, through the <laughs> through the doorway, and he was petrified, especially with the reflection from the TV on the window. So next to me, I remember sitting there as a young lad. Watching this film, <laughs> all of us looking at each other, you know, make, you know, waiting for the other person to to get up and go to bed, and none of us did. And I remember sitting there, and uh, and the reflections of the TV turning around, and I could see the the mask, you know, the, the old William Shatner mask painted white in the reflection of the window. And I was there thinking, it's only a reflection, it's only a reflection. He's not actually standing out there. And uh, and then of course once we finished watching the film, we uh, we, we was daring each other to to see who would walk the furthest into the wood. <laughs> and needless to say, uh, I'd love to turn around and say that I, I walked the furthest. Um, I didn't. In fact, it was Ian who walked the furthest. But uh, I got my own back because uh, I locked the door on him and he was stuck outside screaming like a small child. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my that's my little comment for you. Uh, great work, Rico. Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, we'll chat to you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, great story, Meds. Yeah, that uh, I've never been much of a camper, but I can imagine that situation. And when you're a kid and watching Halloween out in the woods, especially when it's that time of year on top of it all, a really uh, brilliant classic uh, story there. And, yeah, that movie, Halloween, for me, is probably one of my all-time favorite uh, Halloween films, you know, called Halloween. But uh, that first, uh, the first one by John Carpenter was just so kind of raw and real there was something about it and i also like nosferatu like you mentioned i've seen that a couple of times as well that's a great movie too but uh halloween though there's something about that you know the whole babysitting it's kind of in a midwest town and it was just uh intense i think i i should say when i first saw it as well and i think i saw it probably about when it came out i believe uh at the time and uh it it is probably still one of my favorites for halloween and next up, we've got uh, Tim. We have Trekkie Geek uh, and his uh, little Halloween story for you. Good evening, Rico. It's Tim here from Shore and by Sea. I uh, hope you are well. Loving the podcast still. Keep up the good work, mate. Uh, you have the esteemed honor of uh, being the first show to receive an audio from my new microphone, which I purchased for my podcast. And uh, I hope it sounds okay. Um, the re- reason I'm sending you this is because you, you, are, you made a shout-out for um, some audio uh, about Halloween. I'm afraid I don't have any really good Halloween stories, but uh, I wanted you to know that my twins have just turned four, and I think now is the time to take them trick-or-treating. Uh, 
although they're a little bit dubious about it when I say to them, uh, do you want to come out and we'll make some noises and we'll go and knock on people's doors and we'll go, ooh. They look at me as if to say, nah, Dad, you're a plum. No, they're a little bit scared, but I want to take them trick-or-treating this weekend, uh, uh, Halloween weekend. And I'm going to go to the local supermarket, and I'm going to get some nice costumes, and we're going to paint their face up. And um, it's going to be great, because I never really did trick-or-treating as a kid. It, Halloween seems to have picked up a little bit more over the last few years in this country. And we're just going to visit around the, the estate we've got here. There's a, there's about ten houses, and uh, we'll, let, we'll let them all know that we're going to come knocking at their door. And uh, I think it's going to be great fun. Um, although I don't want any trick-or-treaters coming to my house because I'm a miserable git. Um, so that, that's that's my audio entry, I'm afraid. Um, I don't know if it's good enough to be entered into the prize draw, but uh, I hope so, indeed. Um, Rico, thank you very much for the show. I'm still loving it, as I say. I look forward to listening to it every weekend. And uh, I should really get on the forums a bit more. I've been absent um, recently, and that's down to pure laziness, I think. And... Uh, I'm a bad man, but I still love the show, so I'm not completely bad, am I? Anyway, take care, my friend, and I will keep listening. All the best, and happy Halloween! Well, thanks very much. That's a great story, Tim. Uh, it's, uh, you know, with, I, I have two, uh, I, I, most people know I have two boys, and when they were growing up, eh, they've kind of pretty much gotten out of it, although they were trick-or-treaters for quite a long time, but Lynn, my wife, uh, we have some great pictures and maybe uh, maybe when we get a little closer on the forums this week uh or probably next weekend because i'll be out of town pretty much with the new job this week but i will try to post maybe some of my kids uh different costumes they they wore uh during the years growing up she did some great stuff i mean it was it was it was very cool because uh, she's fairly good with sewing in that and, and made some terrific stuff i can remember one especially my younger son eric where he was uh he was little uh the Aladdin from uh, the Disney movie, and uh, she made him a little Aladdin outfit because he just loved that movie. He had the little monkey, uh, w- which was Abu, I think, was the monkey. But and again, just some some fun stuff that they used to do. And and I can remember one Halloween especially where uh, we were in the old neighborhood where we first lived, our first house, and they were probably. I think in, in still in the grade school age, you know, maybe about like uh, seven and ten or or eight and five. They're like three years apart. But anyway, I, it was a terrible weather Halloween. I mean, the, the weather was terrible. It was cold. It was raining like crazy. And our neighborhoods uh, that we've lived in have always been pretty big on Halloween, decorating the houses, quite a few trick-or-treaters. But this uh, this Halloween, the weather just kept a lot of people inside but I, we were, you know, they had the costumes. We were bound to determine, so I loaded him, like, into my car, and we just basically drove around to a few houses. And what, what I remember most about this, besides getting very cold and very wet, but you would go to the houses, and since there were no, no one was out trick-or-treating, there was this one lady in particular that brought this huge bowl of candy to the door when we, we all uh, ran up to the house. And, you know, she was practically pouring the bowl of candy in these two little kids' you know, bags uh, for, for because there was no one else trick-or-treating. She didn't want all that candy left over. And we got a lot of candy that year, let's just say. So, yeah, lots of great stories. Halloween I enjoy uh, a lot. I, I've decorated our house over the years uh, in different ways. I, I've tried to scare the little kids. We have these little walk uh, walkway lights 
uh, by my house. And, and every year, it, it, it goes without uh, saying that every year, these little walkway plastic little, you know, those low-voltage lights people put out, they get knocked over or bent over. And just because kids are, you know, running across them scared or uh, after they come to the Dosty house. So uh, it, it's a great holiday. I, I, I don't even really want to talk too much about it, but it, it is a bit of a shame that uh, due to people doing some kind of very nasty things and handing out candy – uh, that's been somehow uh, changed or tainted or people stick junk in it and, and just it, it's it's really kind of soured the holiday for some people although we just have always really done it trick-or-treated handed out candy or uh, took our kids out trick-or-treating they went out on their own even when they were older trick-or-treating uh, and had a great time in the neighborhood we always looked through and checked over the candy uh, before we would have the kids and I you know anyone out there listening that's a very important thing to do but don't let that stop you get out there and have fun and and have a good Halloween I want to also uh, do this contest I there, I have one more giveaway for that mind's eye Shatner Nimoy documentary digital download uh, for that and the guys in the UK meds and Tim thanks for your entries Vartak but what I'm gonna do you guys all I'm gonna let you all have a, a shot at this and the guys in the UK this is via iTunes. I don't think you can download it, but if you have someone in the U.S. you want to give your your winning uh, it to, if you win after I roll my dice here, uh, then that w- that's what we'll do. And just shoot me an email uh, if if one of you guys wins. So the three of you, I'm rolling, and it looks like Meds. Meds, you are the winner of the the Mind's Eye uh, documentary, and we can try it. It might work. I don't know. But uh, just shoot me an email, Meds, and we'll work out the details. And if you can't uh, use this digital download via iTunes uh, of the Mind's Eye, you can pass it on to somebody in the in the U.S. It might be U.S. only. I think it was. So thanks, you guys. Great stories. Uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to those. Want to contribute to the weekly podcast with audio comments? Send them in to treksf at gmail.com or visit www.treksinsci-fi.com Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dusty Well folks, that's going to wrap up our spooky and scary Halloween special Treks and Sci-Fi show. I hope you enjoyed it and the look at Frankenstein and hearing the Halloween stories and, and other things that we talked about this week. I very much appreciate uh, everyone still, you know, watching, watching, uh, listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. Any suggestions for podcasts? And speaking of that, upcoming on the Treks and Sci-Fi show next week, we will be looking at the Next Generation Trek two-parter uh, called Chain of Command, which is a, a an excellent uh, set of episodes from uh, the next generation that I've wanted to look at for quite a while. And we're going to be looking at that next week. And actually, the weekend after that is another guest show with meds from the UK uh, looking at uh, James Bond, which I thought was very appropriate. So that'll be a guest cast in two weeks. And so that's what's coming up. And you can always check treksandsci-fi.com for the latest uh, stories, uh, Trek things and news and other information, along with the, the upcoming podcast schedule as well. And I think that's about it. I've got my big week at my new uh, contract job, which may turn into a permanent one. 
Uh, so I'm going to be kind of uh, to the. This is a little shout out to the guys that are on the forums uh, regularly on a daily basis. This week may be a little more sporadic for me. Probably be on a little bit more in the evenings, uh, and depending on how things go. And my time will be a little more busy uh, from now on, I think. So, which is, I think, a good thing. And uh, again, thanks for listening, everyone. If you um, have sent in recent donations to the podcast, those are very much appreciated. And if you want to uh, contribute uh, yourself to a donation for the show, uh, you can go to the main website again, and uh, there are links there to donate via PayPal. Uh, that is always helpful to pay for hosting fees and other equipment and. All kinds of things you wouldn't uh, even know that I, I have to pick up to do this show each time. So anyway, everyone, have a happy Halloween next Saturday. I hope you have a great time uh, trick-or-treating and, and uh, bobbing for apples. Do people do that anymore, really? I don't I don't know. Caramel apples. We have an apple orchard really close by that I need to visit and pick up some cider and some, uh, some apples. Uh, it, it, great stuff, very fresh and, and good. And I got to do that this week sometime if I get a chance before my new job. <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone. I, I really enjoyed doing this podcast for you, and I do enjoy it still every week, even though it's going to get very busy for me and, and a little bit trickier, but I'm not going anywhere and I'm going to keep at it. So take care, everyone. Talk to you again soon. Bye bye. Copyright under Creative Commons, License 3.0. Distribute it. Give it to your friends, family, dog to listen to. Enjoy. Enjoy.